Though it is probably a rule that you shouldn't quote Churchill on a podcast, he did have a couple of zingers. The farther back you can look, the farther forward you are likely to see. This sentiment underscores the crucial role history plays in illuminating our path forward. It reminds us that those with experience provide us with a treasure trove of wisdom. Joining us today is a true luminary in the realm of property. With an extensive career spanning more than five decades, he has seen booms, busts, crises, incentives, regulations, and multiple governments. Through it all, he somehow remains an optimist. His experience is unequaled in this industry, and even after all these years, he still remembers details that I would forget 10 minutes after they happened. Chatting with him was a privilege and a pleasure. Please enjoy this conversation with Ken MacDonald. Uh, thanks, Rick, for the invitation. Uh, I really love talking about property. I could talk about it all day. Well, look, we'll we'll put that to the test. So today, <laughs> um, so just like we'll kick right into it, Ken. Sure. When did you start? When when did you get involved first? Well, I trained in an office in Sandy Cove, the Alberta State Agency, which is no longer there. And after um, two or three years uh, out there, it was owned by Jennings, the builders. I really felt I wanted to get into town because the suburbs were pretty quiet. And uh, so I approached uh, the late Ronald Hook, who had a small insurance and auctioneering business in 25 Pier Street, uh, one room uh, there. So and uh, we had a chat and we agreed to set up a new company and call it Hook and MacDonald. That was March 1967. 1967. Yeah. Things very different back then. 55 years ago. Yeah. So March 1967, 55 years on the go. Yeah. And still young. <laughs> what was what were things like back then? Like so how 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 did the property market work back then? Was it just buying and selling secondhand property? Was there a lot of new development going on? A lot of new houses getting built? There were there wasn't much uh, new development going on, and there wasn't that many secondhand sales taking place either. But so you had to generate activity. In our very first week, the phones just weren't ringing, so. Uh, but then one person did ring a, a pilot. Uh, he he said he needed to get a house near the airport. So uh, we printed out about uh, 300 leaflets and I, I went out and delivered them to all the areas out around the airport that he had an interest in. And the next day, somebody rang up and said, I, I'm interested in selling my house. So we, we got our first sale. That was how he did it. <laughs> yeah. 300 leaflets. Yeah. But I always had an interest in building land and builders and construction. My father was an engineer in Dublin as uh, city council, uh, Dublin Corporation, as it was known as then. And uh, he used to bring me around to sites when he was inspecting foundations and that. So I I, um, I really got a good uh, appetite for for the, the building industry. I started to look for land and um, I'd call up to Tala, various parts of Tala and Rat Michael and Shankill and call into farmers and chat to them. And um, 
again then asked them if they were ever going to sell their lands to uh, would they would they contact us so we managed to sell quite a lot of land that linked us up then with uh, builders and developers Finbar Holland then was starting to build apartments uh, around Ballsbridge, the late Finbar Holland, and he uh, was very innovative, and he he got us involved in selling apartments at Northbrook. We felt that apartments were the way forward for high density living, so that led us on to uh, taking an interest in um, how to develop the the apartment uh, market. In, in Dublin uh, particularly and maybe further afield. We linked up with uh, Dublin Corporation uh, and we ran a number of uh, conferences in in Dublin Castle um, to generate interest in the uh, urban renewal in Dublin city centre. We, we uh, linked up with Cosgraves. They uh, agreed to buy a site in Gardner Street. Uh, they they built uh, 172 apartments there at Custom Hall. When when, when was that, Ken? The Gardner that Street. That was in 1992. But even even prior to that, in um, we were approached one day by a an architect from. The North of Ireland architect come developer, Jared Hawhey, and he said he had bought a site at Dalkey for, for 27 apartments. So he asked us, would we um, would would we link up with his architect and give our input into what sort of apartments should be built on it? So Pilot View emerged um, or the site emerged. We went out one uh, Saturday and said we were taking booking deposits on a new development to be built at Pilot View in Dalkey at Bullock Harbour. And um, just from the boot of the car, it was a fine day. We managed to sell most of the apartments uh, off the plans. So, so uh, No advertising or... Yeah, yeah. Then uh, one day we were approached by uh, the late Liam Carroll and... Um, he said he had a, he was building a development at Rings End, which wasn't the most fashionable part of Dublin at the time. Um, but he, he not yeah. like today. <laughs> not like today. Not like today. Yeah. yeah funny how that yeah. has changed, right? Rings End used to be the kind of looked down upon a little That's bit, and right. now it's the centre of the <laughs> yeah. the new wave economy. <clears throat> yeah. So. Um, um, he went to three agents uh, and asked for proposals. Apparently, the other two told him it was uh, they wouldn't be too optimistic about the sales, and we told him it was a fantastic site and it was would fly. Um, and uh, so he appointed us, and um, but. Uh, the surroundings weren't the most uh, uh, salubrious at the time. So we said we got a, a dusk a, a photograph of a boat going up outside it and with, uh, uh, and with good lighting. And uh, we got that photograph into the Irish Times property section on the on a, uh, I think it was on a Wednesday they came out at that time. Uh, we said we were in the in the ads. We said we were going to open for viewings on the on the Thursday. But we got a call on the Wednesday from Liam Carroll saying you better get down here quick. There's a big queue of people, and they want to buy all the houses and apartments. So. Uh, we rushed down to the site and started taking deposits and 
we sold out the whole development, uh, half the plans. Uh, so when, was, when 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 exactly was that? Can that um, first the 1990s, uh, I, I, I think. I'll just have to check the date. It's, it's kind of amazing to me then because they were apartments that were being built, you know, in the in in the, in, in and in the context of of what we hear in the media today about all the shoebox. Uh, apartments that allegedly are being built in Dublin, even though, yeah. as we all know in the industry, they're the biggest apartments in Europe. But in, in the context against that, these apartments that were built in the 1990s, particularly down in Ringsend, were small. Yeah. They were small units. Yeah. So why was there such demand at the time? Was that, is that just a case that there was so little being built or because they were so affordable and people that's what people could afford, so they bought an apartment? Like, why is it so different than today when you say if you were to go down to that same area today and put up a block of apartments and try to sell them, you wouldn't have a queue of people, individual purchasers outside it anymore. Yeah. So what, what do you think was going on in the 1990s that made, that made these things um, to create so much demand from people? Well, there was a desire from people to buy property. Um, now, Fisherman's Wharf was predominantly houses, but, but Liam went on to build loads and loads of apartment developments but but the conditions were right uh, for uh, people to to buy a home also there were a lot of people who wanted to rent properties so there was there was a market for for investors at the time the prices were were very cheap when you look along the keys we were selling at bachelor's walk uh, uh, apartments for forty thousand uh, uh, pounds each at the time. At the time, was there a lot of social housing being being built at the time? Because I know in the in the sixties and seventies there was big social housing programs. In the nineties, it seemed to maybe tail off a little bit. They started tailoring it off in the in the nineties. All right, uh, Rick. The um, the social housing programs of the local authorities were hugely successful. And um, the likes of Dublin Corporation were very proactive in providing uh, housing. Um, And the the biggest mistake since then has been um, the termination of the building of social housing. That is one of the main reasons for the housing crisis uh, today. Um, When we started out in in business uh, also, People couldn't get mortgages. Uh, there was only one lender in town. Uh, it was the Irish Permanent, and you had to deposit money with them for uh, for about five years before they'd even consider uh, giving you uh, a a mortgage. Wow! Uh, and um, but then when the uh, banks started lending, uh, and they started seeing the advantages of, say, apartment living. That opened up the market and a huge number of people got housed. But then there was a serious downturn in in the 1970s um, and just nothing was happening. At the start of the 1980s, we we and others um, suggested to the government at the time, Ray McSharry was the Minister for Finance, um, uh, that they should introduce tax incentives for development. Um, And it had to be a particular type of incentive 
that would make a difference, that would really attract investors. So in the in the finance bill in 1981, they introduced uh, Section uh, 23, uh, which was hugely successful. Uh, overnight, the market turned and thousands of people entered the market and started buying apartments. Uh, it was a very, very successful incentive. The problem was the politicians got involved in it and the politicians wanted their their local area in Leitrim or Clare or Donegal to get in on the Section 23 act, uh, action. And that it should never have been extended to those areas. It was an incentive that was really for um, for the high density areas that where there was a strong rental demand. Yeah, and for regeneration, right? For like regeneration. To, to say there was parts of Dublin City at the time that were almost yeah, in ruin. Exactly. Yeah. So so um, and it was so successful. And I remember listening to Gay Byrne on the radio in 1992. He, he was going through the papers, and he said, "My God." They're building apartments in Gardner Street, a no-go area. They're building apartments. What is the world going to? Uh, and uh, anyhow, we uh, we managed to get Bertie Hearn, who was Minister for Finance, to cut the tape. And uh, we got a, a band on the street and the guards got off the roads. And uh, we had... Uh, had a great sellout of the apartments. Imagine for in, Gar- in Gardner Street in the nineteen nineties. <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. yeah. So um, that led to a huge t- thousands of apartments uh, being built, uh, mainly in uh, South Dublin locations in Rennell and Radgar and Ballsbridge, uh, Dorky. Um, but it's just an awful pity that. The politicians wrecked the Section 23 and they gave it a bad name. Whereas if we had the same Section 23 with the same incentives today, you'd have a massive house building or apartment building uh, program. It would solve so much of our homeless problems uh, overnight. And I, I, I don't I don't disagree with you, um, but just because of the age we live in, I have to ask this. Uh, otherwise, I'll be accused of uh, being a uh, bias and a shill of the construction industry. Section 23 primarily uh, makes it attractive for people to own the property. And so some would say that it's a support to pricing rather than uh, anything else. What do you say to people who, who claim that uh, Irish people are different and they don't want to live in apartments, that they they might rent one for a little while, um, but ultimately, they want to live in a three-bedroom semi or a four-bedroom semi or a detached house in a, in some estate somewhere. What do you what do you say to that? Because I I'm listening to this for since I started, and obviously a lot less years in this than you are. That we're different here, and that we're different than every other developed nation on earth in that sense. That we won't live in apartments. Do you think it's true, or do you think it's just a? No, I don't think it's true. I, 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 there's a certain sector of the population who wouldn't be comfortable living in apartments, that they're much happier living in a house, even if that house is, has three or four empty bedrooms in it, and they still want their their house. Um, but, there's, but the fact that 
70% of our population are one, two or three per person households uh, means that the most suitable type of accommodation for them is uh, an apartment. Um, and it's also very suited to, um, to, to retired people. Unfortunately, we have a culture here at the moment of uh, objecting to developments, even though the people who are objecting to them they're damaging the prospects, proper accommodation for their parents or, uh, or, for their, kids or even. their kids. Yeah. Uh, you have at the moment in Black Rock and uh, Rahini and other locations at the moment, applications in for development of senior citizens' apartments. And you have local ob uh, residents objecting to them, yeah. which is just cracked. Um, well, the objecting thing has become both, my opinion, a sport and an industry, you know, in a sport in the sense that people have been conditioned now to be opposed to construction. Yeah. Um, and that, that's just been going on for years. And I, I have to, I don't want to be one of these people that criticize politicians. I know they have a hard job, but I have to lay some of the blame for that at their door. The The fact that the, the, the local politicians pile on to planning applications, objecting to them, as a little bit of a sop to I'm here standing up for you in this area, when in reality, it's just nonsense, uh, dog whistle stuff to be opposed to development. All the people that live there, their houses were once built. Yeah. They were once a planning application. They were once a green field. Um, and if we, we take this attitude that we're going to be opposed to everything, I mean, that's, that's just a dead end road for society in general. But on the other side, the industry of the objection is something that people don't often see, right? We're exposed to it very much in the construction industry because we get to see the other side of it. Yeah. There are a host of solicitors and planning consultants, and, but mostly solicitors who are going around uh, actively trying to create a business yeah. out of preventing development from happening. Yeah. And they've been allowed that space by the political system and by the legal system yeah. to effectively render the planning system to be completely halted. Oh, yeah. Um, the effect that that has on costs, and we'll, we'll get onto that later, but is is absolutely immense. Um, and the the thing that that I, I find just crazy is, is you've been at this so long. The '90s, Gardner Street apartments were built back then. They provide a very low cost form of housing to a lot of people. The nurse, the guard, people like that could afford to live there in the city centre. Yeah, you would have no prospect of getting a lot of those um, planning consents today. Yeah, even though they would comply with the development plan you still wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. So in, in the period that you've been involved in the property industry, you've really seen that turn around, right? Completely. To the yeah. point where people were lining up to buy apartments where there was very little opposition to them being built. Yeah. To now, there's unbelievable opposition to them being built. People can't afford them because yeah. the cost of producing them is, yeah. is so high. And you have collectively a political system that are saying, you know, it's not our problem. Yeah. It's, it's your problem. Yeah, yeah. I know it's so wrong. I mean, um, they uh, we saw the case there recently where somebody from the south of Ireland uh, objected to a particular development in Dublin here, a major development in Dublin. And um, they, they, there was no reason why their objection should have been even entertained and holding up that development for uh, over a year. And then um, there was sort of an indication coming from the objector um, 
uh, that maybe if there was a little bit of a compensation for them, they would pull the objection. Yeah. So it's called racketeering in other in yeah, other parts of the world. It, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, so once the development is in line with the local development plan and the planners are happy with it. There shouldn't be any consideration of of those those objections. Um, we could spend all day talking about planning objections, and I, I, I'm conscious I don't want to use up all your time. But I I, I am curious um, to 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 hear your view on on how things have changed. So back to the 90s, right? We're in Gardiner Street. Cosgrave put up that apartment block. You've got huge amount of sales. Your band is playing on the street. The people buying those apartments in the early 90s. What proportion of those were were investors who were renting them out? Do you think? I mean, I, I know that you, it's a long time. Oh ago, well, we, we've we've done surveys on that, um, uh, and um, the the because we we handled most of those uh, developments for a lot of those apartment developments built at that stage were they they were seventy seven seventy eight percent were uh, small investors. Yeah. Um, and the, the 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 role that the small investors played in the market was was just so important because they were um, modernizing the stock of rental accommodation by buying these apartments and by uh, letting them out to uh, people who might have been saving to buy a house or whatever. They were all small investors. A lot of them were buying them for pension purposes or. It, it, there was no uh, none of this regulatory regime that we have at the moment that has scared the daylights out of uh, the small investors and is crippling the rental market. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 therein lies another little paradox of what's going on at the moment is that the role of institutional investors here in in recent years has been castigated as some sort of uh, a toxic nightmare uh, where they're coming in here. Uh, uh, and they've been referred to by all sorts of pejorative names, cuckoo funds, vulture funds, they, whatever word they can come up with at the time. And But that aside, why do you think that has shifted to the point where, okay, you had loads of small investors, but essentially all of an apartment block was rented out, right? Almost all of yeah, it. Yeah. And today, all of an apartment block is rented out, but just by one landlord. Yeah. There's not really any difference there, right? In, in terms of the impact on society, both apartments are being rented out to somebody who wants to rent them yeah. and they're being provided. What, why do you think, or when did you see that start to change? Like we didn't have any institutional investment in the 1990s, right? There was no pension no, funds no, buying, no. no large pension funds buying properties no, in no. bulk. That never happened. That started to happen when? Around 2012, like in the aftermath of the of the crash? Um yeah, it was. You, sort you of, guys were the were the vanguard there. You were the leaders on that. Uh, yeah, stuff. yeah, no, we were. Um, they, it's it really got going in 2015, 2016, um, when a number of those pension funds and institutional investors um, expressed interest in in purchasing uh, apartment blocks. So they are just replacing the small investors. But they're providing a fantastic service because they are providing seriously high quality accommodation with with great community facilities, resident uh, facilities. Why they've been misdescribed as a result of certain 
people uh, views flawed views um uh, about the role uh, that they're fulfilling without having those investors that have built uh, these say 16 or 17000 homes in the last uh, 6 or 7 years um, the rental market today would be even much worse than it currently is and the Irish state can't fund the entire housing program each year the institutional investors play a, a hugely important uh, part in funding part of the of the housing pro, uh, delivery program but they're they're just part of the solution, and it's totally wrong. I agree with you. It's totally wrong that they're being uh, misdescribed. And, and they're a very small part of the solution, right? Because as it stands, I believe Ires Ires Reese is the largest land yeah. private landlord, right? They yeah. have about four thousand, five thousand, something like that units. And they're constantly in the media, whenever they have the results, they're constantly being criticised as state's largest landlord. In fact, I learned the other day that there's several affordable housing bodies have more than twice that number of, of units yeah. in their ownership. If, if we're going to have a rental sector in the country, is it not better to have people like IRES, who by all accounts run a very good business, provide a very good service to their tenants, adhere to all the laws, have public scrutiny on them because they're so big to make sure that they adhere to the laws? Yeah. yeah. Or is it better to have 40,000 individual landlords where this is maybe their only property, where they are struggling financially to make it work because of the regulation, where one bad tenant, and admittedly it's a small problem, but one bad tenant can ruin them by not paying their rent and, and refusing to leave the property? where their ability to respond to maintenance issues is reduced because they have just one property and they have another job. Yeah. Or IRES that have 24-hour call-out, huge amount of properties. Yeah. One bad tenant's never going to sink them. 20 bad tenants isn't going to sink them. Yeah. It allows them to produce, invest, grow. Which is the better, the better outcome? Because there seems to be this schizophrenia where they're like, we have to stop small landlords leaving the market, but we don't want big landlords. Why can't we have both? Is there a reason why we can't have both, do you think? There's there's no sound reason. In some cases, it's a very dishonest narrative uh, that's out there from certain parties uh, about them for ideological or political reasons. Um, but they are fooling a lot of people uh, who don't understand that the, the role they're playing. And in, in some cases, some of those uh, REITs are they're being described as investors, but they're actually building. They're carrying on a building role. Look at Island Bridge in uh, several hundred apartments there. Yeah. And, that, and that project was stalled for years until Kennedy Wilson came yeah, in and invested Kennedy in it. Yeah, Kennedy Wilson stepped in. It was, a, 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 it was just an abandoned site. And they have built it out and done a fantastic job on it. The quality of accommodation and services that are provided in in those uh, modern uh, developments owned by institutions are are just fantastic. It's far better to have the institutional investors um, there uh, deliver, delivering and o- owning those properties than than uh, as you say a multitude of small investors who are just piling out of the sector anyhow. 
Yeah, and, that, and so that's another thing I wanted to ask you about, because you probably have good visibility of this. Having sold a lot of these units to people 20 or 25 years ago when they, when they were entering it as an investor, yeah. you m- might be seeing them now exiting. Uh, do you have people come back that bought units off you 20 years ago and say, Ken, I'm, I'm getting out? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, it's becoming an avalanche at the moment. Something like uh, between 30 and 40 percent of Secondhand sales in in a lot of locations at the moment are the, the small landlords exiting the market, and that, that's amazing. Really, that high? Yeah, yeah. Wow. In in a lot of the established rental locations, that's that's what's happening, and that that is really at the core of the uh, of the dilemma in the in the in the rental market at present. That's why rents are so high, and that's why there's such a shortage of properties. But another another thing to follow on from that, because we often hear this then the the complaint that people have that oh the landlord's selling, so he's evicting his tenant, and isn't that terrible? And as as you know, and as anyone who's listening to this will probably know, who didn't live under a rock. Uh, you know, I, I was involved in a controversy a number of years ago when, when we decided to exit a single family rental business yeah. out in Tyrrellstown. And we wrote to our tenants and we said, hey, you know, we're going to get out of this business. We're going to sell the houses. Your, your lease has a year to run. We're giving you that much notice, whatever it is. Yeah. And also, do you want to buy the house that you're living in? Yeah. We'll buy it. We'll sell it to you at this price, you know, fair price, no competition, right? No, no active bidding. And that blew up into an absolute... Um, just yeah. shitstorm uh, yeah. because of misinformation about what was really going on. And the reason we were leaving that business is because it wasn't profitable for us to carry it out anymore. Yeah. And we're not a charity. Yeah. So we did nothing wrong. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would dispute that. But in fact, we sold a lot of those houses to the tenants and, and uh, some of them got to buy their first house, as it turns out, very, very cheaply. But the, the fact that, that that's still going on five years later, right? People are still rotating out of being landlords five years later. It's a very serious problem that that, uh, that, that the regulation, that it's over-regulation now that's scaring uh, all these uh, smaller uh, landlords. And if it keeps accelerating, the problem is just going to get much worse. It doesn't matter if the, we up the housing completions to 40,000 or 50,000 or 60,000, which we should be doing anyhow every year. It's just going to keep, uh, that's just going to keep being a drain on it. And the regulation just keeps coming down the line and there is no reason for it. And the likes of having a cap on, uh, on, on rental rises has been shown uh, to be counterproductive. Yeah, it has never worked anywhere. No. Um, and, and yet proponents of it keep saying, yeah, but we want to, I mean, uh, what I find amazing about the cap um, on on rent, you'll notice that the inflation crisis that took hold recently after the, after the war started in Ukraine, no one talked about a cap on food, right? Mm. F- food is more important. Yeah. Food and water, yeah. right? And you know, the price of eggs, the price of cheese, the price yeah. of all these things is rising dramatically. Nobody brought up the idea that we should turn around to Tesco and say, hey, we don't care how much it's costing yeah. you uh, to provide those eggs and that yeah. cheese, but you're capped at 2% growth per year. Yeah. yeah. Nobody turned around to Ford or to Toyota and said, we don't care yeah. what your production yeah. costs are, because they know that what will happen in that scenario is yeah. that Tesco will just say, 
Thanks very much. Here's the keys of all our stores. Good luck. Aswell Ford, Aswell Toyota, and nothing will get sold. The only reason that they do it in the property industry is because the property is immovable. Yeah, yeah. So they can, they tax it or they, they limit it because they yeah. can. Yeah. Um, and so it's always been this, this eternal well that successive governments could go to, to either tax or to regulate yeah. in order to placate or to seemingly yeah. placate. Yeah. Uh, in the in the hope that it would work, and it hasn't worked here. No, right? Because what's happened in, in since that cap has been brought in, right? The supply of housing continues to decline. It 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 just was wrong in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, that's we're we're not going <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to change anyone's mind. I don't think on that. You're, you're either on one side of that debate or you're on the other. But I, I think that. Um, you know, history and economics and just plain goddamn arithmetic yeah. uh, shows that trying to cap any, the price of anything in a market economy is just yeah. nonsense. Isn't um, it? It's just nonsense. It never worked. Yeah. Um, turning away from the investor side uh, for a minute, house prices generally, right? For somebody that wants to buy their first home, be it an apartment, be it a three bed, be it a whatever, the prices in the last couple of years have run up pretty significantly. Not maybe like they were in 05 and 06 when the kind of the madness was happening, yeah. but still quite significant in the last two years. What's your view on that? Like, obviously there's a shortage, right? So that's going to drive up prices. But at the same time, and I'm speaking from the builder's perspective here, the profit margins in construction are, have been declining. So the prices have been going way up and the profit margins have been going down. Yeah. Do you think that prices are supported now? I mean, I, I know that in your role as, a, as an agent, you don't want to be saying that the property market's overvalued. But do you think prices are supported? Like they've come up an awful lot in the last two years. If you were saying to somebody now, said, oh, Ken, should I buy, should I buy my first home? Is now a good time? Well, I think you, you have to go back to the 2005, 2006, when there was 87,000 uh, new homes being built. Isn't that, isn't that like astonishing that we all forget that sometimes? I think, well, I forget it. When you hear it said out loud, 87,000 units yeah. a year. Yeah. And we did what, 30,000 last year? Uh, uh, yeah, just under 30,000 yeah. in, in 2002. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think it's all relative. I mean, I remember, you know, back in the 1980s, 1990s, and People would say, "Oh, gee, it's that's that's costing forty thousand. Yeah, that's very expensive." But <laughs> it's it's all relative. And the levies now are nearly that yeah, much, right? Yeah. I mean, Irish water is five thousand seven hundred euros per unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you were selling houses, the entire house, for forty thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, to be fair to the government, the. The assistance they brought in to the likes of first-time buyers, the first-time uh, buyer uh, grants. The help to help the buy scheme. The help to buy yeah. scheme. That's a fantastic scheme. And that has helped uh, so many uh, young uh, people to buy homes. And um, and it doesn't cost the taxpayer a dime, right? No, because it's a it tax doesn't. refund of it, the taxes that were paid. Yeah, and it, it has pulled... Thousands of people out of the the rental market uh, and has helped that scenario, and yet you get you get people complaining about it. Uh, certain politicians who, 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 you'd have to wonder: Do they really want the housing crisis to be solved? Uh, at times, I I think it. I probably don't want the government to solve it. Yeah, <laughs> they want it to transpire. 
that they are the ones that could yeah. solve well, that's, it. That's so, human. That's human nature. For yeah, you. but yeah. but I, to answer your question, though, I do think that anybody can who can afford, who has the deposit, who can afford to go out and buy a home, whether it's a house or an apartment, at the moment, I I, I don't think they can go wrong. It, it's it's there's going to be a continuous shortage. The cost of materials, inflation, the, the build costs are going to keep rising. Yeah. I mean, they went up by a considerable amount last year. So that does seem to support the argument that housing is not going to get cheaper. It's no. just not going to happen. No. Certainly not new housing, right? No. At the same time, I look occasionally at friends of mine say, oh, I'm thinking about buying this, thinking about buying that. What do you think? And I, I'm dragged into the vortex that is my home in Daft. And then inevitably, like the internet, I go down a black hole at looking at things and I start seeing apartments, individual apartments, which I assume are landlords selling, right? Exiting the rental market. Yeah. Seem to be very good value to me yeah. that you can buy an apartment uh, in, in Dublin city centre for very little for what it is, considering the areas that sometimes that they're yeah. in, like in Dublin 8, yeah. places like that. What's your view on that? Like if somebody first start a home, I know everyone's very focused on the new house and, and everything, but apartments that were built like in in, in the 2000s, I know there's some, there's a lot of, and it's, it's terrible, the issues around around fire safety that have only affected certain certain blocks, but they do seem to be cheap, right? Apartments on an individual yeah. basis. Yeah, I am. Um, well, they are, they are relatively cheap and they are, they are good value uh, compared to what it costs to replace that at home. You do need to take into account though, that uh, whoever buys that is going to have uh, energy costs um, much higher yeah, than, than, than the, the new the new build. Yeah, that is that is a fair point, and it, it, some of them, even though they are they're not bad, even if yeah. uh, the difference actually in the, the scale for energy is a bit confusing because people might think B and what's the difference between B and A? Well, it was actually a lot. <laughs> the sure jump is. from B to A is is a huge amount. So that's yeah. something that people yeah. should really take account of. Um, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? You, you, you're involved in conversations with policymakers and politicians and people. Do you, do you think that that the that the problems are understood? Um, um, oh, I I do think um, they are understood, but there there seems to be a they seem to be frozen in decision making and. Um, they keep looking over their shoulders. I would be very optimistic now, I'm an optimist by nature, uh, but I would be optimistic that um, the situation has got so bad now that radical action has to be taken. And if radical action isn't taken, it's going to be just a disaster scene for uh, home buyers and renters. And politicians can't afford to let that happen. And, you know, when you look to the United States, um, where uh, the construction industry in areas where housing is needed, they're incentivized. And um, they have to bring in incentives here, uh, irrespective of what um, people, some people might say, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's just helping developers. It's not just helping developers. If you help developers, you're helping the home buyers. Whether it's a subvention or whether it's an incentive, um, radical action has to be taken and very, very quickly. The government proved 
that with the, when the pandemic came, that radical urgent action could be taken and they've been praised for it and they did a great job on it. They need to do the same on housing. Well, I was going to ask you if you had a magic wand that you could change one thing, but you gave me about seven things there that you changed. So your, your magic wand is, is very special, Ken, and we'll, 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 we'll give it to you because of your, your experience um, and uh, no one will take it from you. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Knowing what you know, seeing what you've seen, uh, would you encourage your grandchildren to go into the property industry? Uh, uh, definitely. Yeah. It's, the, it's one of the best uh, careers or industries uh, out there. Um, I, I, I know my own uh, son Donald and daughter Rena uh, absolutely love what they're doing. You've, you've new challenges every day, um, but there's some great people in property here in Ireland with a, a better reputation, um, and rightly so, than a lot of the practitioners in in the UK and, and further afield. It's very well regulated. Uh, the, it's a very professional industry here. I, I, I would definitely encourage uh, young people to look, uh, look at it. Um, but I would also encourage people, them to look at uh, other aspects of the construction industry, whether it's the trades or uh, whatever. Um, you know, anyone who gets into carpentry or electricians, uh, electrical work or anything, they they move on and they they do well uh, and there's very good uh, careers to be had actually yeah there may be you're not sitting in a nice office uh, every day and that's not for everybody but the, yeah. the rates of pay and everything are, are very very good certainly yeah. for those yeah. for those trades and Definitely. should be encouraged more people to go into it so Definitely. well look um, Ken thanks a lot that's been great real uh, real history lesson for me even though I, I, I know I, I regularly get them from my own father but it's um, it's nice to hear about what went on it's nice to hear about how far the whole thing has come and it's also nice to hear that after that many 55 years you're still an optimist <laughs> uh, we need a bit more of that I think in the country so thanks very much for, for joining me and uh, yeah that's a, that's to a the next pleasure, pleasure uh, Rick uh, delighted uh, to, to have got the invitation. The Build is hosted by me, Rick Larkin. Carrie Fernandez produced this episode. Original music was written by Cass. If you have a suggestion for the show or know someone we should interview, please let me know by email, rick at thebillpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.